Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Ladies and gentlemen, we made it. We made it through the preseason, through training camps, mini camps, OTAs, the draft, free agency, all the lulls in between of the offseason. We made it through all that, and we're sitting here today looking at the brand new initial Jets 53-man roster, previewing the Ravens about 12 days from now, and life is good. There's a lot of optimism, a lot of positivity around this Jets team right now, and even though we had to see a lot of our comrades disappear, 27 or so just got cut within the last, like, 24 hours. That's always kind of a bummer. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to not only add those guys to the practice squad now that it's up to 16 players, but also to find some other players throughout the league to maybe make the roster even better than it was. Some positions, perhaps, that were lacking in talent or really strong battles, depth positions. Nice to bring some guys in there. We'll see what Joe Douglas and the team does. But, um, yeah, this is a pretty raw initial reaction to the 53-man roster as it stands right now because, like I said, the Jets just posted the final 27 entire list of the players cut today about an hour ago. So I had a little bit of time to digest it, look at the overall makeup of it all, but there are some surprises. A lot of it's what we expected based off of not only the preseason games where the Jets looked really good, especially with those later units, but also everything that we've seen in training camp so far. Some stuff is open to the public and whatnot, and there's more analysis on it. Other stuff, you're just relying on the beat reporters, and hopefully they saw what you're looking for. Um, certain players don't get looked at as much as others, obviously. Everyone's looking at you know Denzel Mims and Chris Traveller, but there's some other players that are doing things as well. But this podcast episode is going to basically talk news and notes around the Jets right now. It's going to sum up the 53-man roster. It's going to talk about my pre-practice uh, squad wish list, which I have like, you know, eight or nine guys that were cut that I think should be put back onto that practice squad for the Jets for future use. We're actually going to preview the Ravens game a little bit. Uh, I'm not thinking I'm going to do a podcast next week because I don't think there's enough content between now and the Ravens game. I don't want to do a full dedicated podcast to previewing the Ravens because just with everything preseason and rosters still being figured out and no one really settled into their units or what they're going to run yet, I don't think there's enough to preview there. I mean, if we could see a game or two sample size to see how they're running or what players they're utilizing, maybe we could do it. But there's just too much hypothetical right now. Um, not going to waste the time. Going to take a week off. Going to watch the Jets beat the Ravens in week one. Then going to come back that Tuesday and start our weekly cadences doing uh, every single Tuesday. When I get home from work, 5 o'clock or so, pour a drink and talk Jets. Now, before we get into news and notes, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation podcast title. The series title is This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Um, I just posted on Twitter a copy of uh, the notes that I'm using here. It was a running list of the 80 men the Jets had going into today, and then the players that were cut, their names are still on the list but crossed off. Um, it allows you to see who's at each position group, but then also who we cut today, just to kind of make it a little bit more digestible that it's been reported. So if you want to see it, check that out on Twitter. Um, but talking news and notes. Starting with the last two games, because the last podcast I did was following the Eagles game, and obviously there was a little bit of negativity because we'd gotten some bad news about Mekhi Becton. We got some, you know, you'd say bad news about Zach Wilson because he's going to miss two to four weeks, they said at that time. He still is not currently healed. Robert Sala says that when he's back, he's going to be basically needing one week of practice, and then he's going to be able to play in a game. 
Um, technically, we're not within that one-week window of the Ravens game yet, and he was seen at practice today walking around, not on the cart, wearing shorts and a T-shirt, walking pretty well. So once we can see him back on the field, the doctors say he's cleared to start resuming practice. Give it about a week. Whether or not he plays week one against the Ravens, I would say that's leading Joe Flacco because better safe than sorry, but still technically is possible. Now, since that game, the Jets went on to play the Atlanta Falcons on Monday Night Football, which is kind of cool to see like a better broadcast. Dan Orlovsky and Lewis Riddick did a good job. Um, we had Steve Levy just yelling play calls at us the whole game. I don't know why he has to yell talk in a commentator role, but that's what he does. That was a little frustrating, but Dan Orlovsky's awesome. That was a great telecast, I thought, for a preseason game for the Jets. And they win that game 24-16. to They were down early, not playing starters, but Chris Traveller, the guy that made the big game-winning touchdown pass against the Eagles, comes back in this one, starts it in the third quarter, finishes a touchdown drive with LaMichael Pirine in the fourth quarter, then a big sack scoop and score from Bradley today gives the Jets a 24-16 to win. That was awesome to see. Jets go to 2-0 there. At that point, the Jets have 85 men on the roster, needed to cut it by to 80 the following day on Tuesday at 4 p.m. In that five-man cut wave, we had safety Elijah Riley, who played some for us last year and was a serviceable backup, but obviously didn't make it to uh, you know the final 80 guys. Safety hybrid linebacker, safety linebacker hybrid Kai Nakua, he was cut. Kicker Eddie Panera was cut because Greg Zerline has won that kicking job, and since that has kicked really, really well. So you see it, and you're like, all right, he kicks a cleaner ball. He's a little bit more of a veteran. Uh, it makes sense, I think, overall, because he's a more established kicker, and he knows what he's doing, and he's on fire right now. Maybe he had a couple bad years the last two years with the Cowboys and whatnot, but right now he's kicking well, seems healthy. Eddie Panero, he will probably find work elsewhere or be back on a uh, practice squad or training camp roster next year. Then two offensive linemen, Isaiah Williams and Caleb Benenock, that never had a chance to make this roster. They were cut as well. Then the Jets move on to the Giants game. I attend this game at MetLife. It is technically a Jets home game but there's a ton of blue representation at this thing. It was a feisty game. The Jets played their starters for the first quarter, quarter and a half or so. Joe Flacco, not so great. Michael Carter made a big uh, fumble, but had a couple nice runs there. Brees Hall had a nice run or two. But the real star of that game, Denzel Mims, a guy that was potentially fighting for a roster spot. Um, We're going to talk about him a little bit more later, but seven catches, I think, 100 and something yards, a touchdown, targeted. uh, I think he only had one target that wasn't caught. I mean, the guy was super efficient, catching the ball downfield for like 15 yards a catch. Awesome game. Showcased a little bit of everything that he can do and helped the Jets win that game. Again, led by Chris Traveller. Big-time touchdown drive. We had a big Calvin Jackson catch to win the game again. That was two for him, two game winners. But uh, it really was a nice day at MetLife. The crowd was a little bit tame, I think, considering. I know the Giants are kind of in a lull right now. The team doesn't have a ton of fire. The Jets are in the same sort of place, maybe trying to bounce back a little bit, but there's not a lot of passion at these preseason games. Just fun to see the players out there, and uh, it's actually funny. I went with a group of five people, so me and four others, and we're going to our seats, which are decent seats. It was like section 227 behind the end zone, and we're on our way to it. Had a little bit of trouble finding it, and we see this lady who comes up to us, and she says, hey, guys, you've been selected to go into this uh, Jets lounge, a FUBU Jets lounge or something sponsored by them, and we're like, eh, I don't know if we want to go in there. She's like, no, seriously, you can come in right now. We're like, listen, we got 25 minutes before the game. Let's just go in there. Maybe we could take a cool photograph or something in a lounge. We've never been in there before just to see part of the stadium. We go in there, and it's like a private bar area. And it's got this big old patio, and you can walk right up. It's like a beer garden outside on the patio. You can walk up to the uh, to like the glass wall that's about waist high. It's got a shelf there. You can put your beer down. We ended up staying there for the entire game. 
All five of us just stood there watching the game from the beer garden for three hours, had an awesome time, front row there, probably better seats than we would have had anyway. So that was a pretty cool experience. I've never been in that, and I've never watched a game from that. But uh, every time you're in a seat and you're a little uncomfortable or having trouble talking to the people next to you, and you look over on the stadium and you see those areas and you're like, one day that would be fun to be down in there and just kind of like partying on a deck watching football. And that's what we did. So very cool. And then, of course, to see that that big touchdown that happened right in front of us in the end zone um, for the Jets to win 31-27, to go to 3-0 and on the preseason, be one of only six teams in the entire league to go undefeated, which doesn't matter, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, life is good. That's kind of the big news and notes around the team right now. There's not a ton else going on. Not a ton of injuries have happened, knock on wood, obviously, but uh, the Jets are looking pretty good right now. We got to get Zach Wilson back, got to get through practices healthy and whatnot, got to make sure that Joe Flacco's got a rhythm with these guys and everyone's ready to go. Dwayne Brown's trying to get caught up to speed at left tackle right now. Our offensive line is still kind of a work in progress, even though we know the pieces that are going to be there and we know where they're going to be. They just have to build that chemistry, make sure they're not missing assignments. But believe it or not, not playing starters the entire preseason Right, game two, they didn't play any starters. Um, not having Mekhi Becton for the preseason, not having Dwayne Brown play in the preseason, all that. The Jets didn't give up any sacks in the entire preseason. I'm pretty sure it was only them and the Browns that did not give up a single sack in the preseason, which is pretty remarkable because Mike White played a lot of snaps. He's not a super athletic guy. You'd think one of these backup O-linemen somewhere in there would make a mistake at some point or the quarterback would hold the ball too too long and take a sack at any point. Try to scramble, not get back to the line of scrimmage. It never happened. The Jets somehow won all three games. They didn't look super convincing in every single one. I think they looked definitely convincing against the Giants. Falcons was, you know, a little rough in the beginning, a little rocky. But 3-0, and no sacks, not a ton of injuries. All in all, this was a very successful training camp and a very successful preseason for the Jets, much better than it was last year. It's a bummer to lose Mackay. It's a bummer that Zach is a little bit dinged up, but all is well. We're going into week one feeling pretty good about what we got. So let's talk about this initial 53-man roster, pre-practice squad additions, and pre-any other ads. Super important to note that this is a work in progress, absolutely 100%. We got 53 guys right now, but you can see certain position groups that are like, like right now we have three tackles. There's no way in my mind the Jets are going into the season with three tackles. They at least will have one or two good ones on the practice squad ready to go at a moment's notice if they need to, potentially suiting up for game day. Got to make it to these initial waves. There's a lot of like like secret strategy and whatnot from these GMs and who to cut, when to cut them, what other teams need, when you can scoop a guy back up. And Joe Douglas is absolutely playing some mind games with other people, maybe holding on to a person he doesn't need to or vice versa just to try to make sure he comes out on top and gets the guys that he wants in the long run. So we're going to see how he ends up handling it. But right now we got 53 guys. We're going to talk about those people because they did make the initial wave. I mean, we cut 27 guys today. So if you're on the roster, that means it's more li- more than likely that you're, uh, the contract that you were given, not necessarily guaranteed, will end up becoming guaranteed when you make the roster. So what we're looking at here, let me get my notes. We are starting with the quarterback. And the quarterback, we know that Zach Wilson's going to be the starter. We know that Joe Flacco is lined up to be the backup. But the big battle this year came between Mike White and Chris Traveller. This battle was never supposed to happen. Mike White was supposed to be QB3. Not the flashiest QB3 in the world, but he can operate the offense. We've seen him do it, throw for 400 yards, basically passing six yards per play. Somehow he was able to get to 400 yards because the guy 
is accurate, has some timing, gets it to the guys, and operates the LaFleur offense the way that he wants it to be operated. Of course, he's got a ton of limitations. He's unable to throw the ball downfield, and when teams really key up on that and come up and, and stop the short plays, very difficult for him. We saw that last year. But at least the guy gives you some comfort in knowing that he can run the offense somewhat appropriately, right? So it was supposed to be Mike White's job. Chris Traveller got no snaps going up into the first preseason game, and he just was, like, thrown out there because they didn't want to get anybody hurt, anybody that had any real promise with the team. Nobody hurt with the backup offensive line and whatnot, even though nobody was getting sacked. Still, Chris Traveller comes in after taking no snaps in training camp, wins the game throwing it to Calvin Jackson against the Eagles the first game, right? So now you're like, ooh, a little bit of spice there. Then game two, Chris Traveller again plays great, ends up leading that touchdown drive to win the game for the Jets before Bradley and a scoop and score, but the Jets do take the lead led by Chris Traveller, and you're like, okay, that's two times Chris Traveller's done really well. In game three, again, Straveller wins the game throwing two touchdowns. I mean, the guy was absolutely on fire. He ends the season 24 of 33, 277 yards, five touchdowns passed, one interception, 124 quarterback rating, and another 71 yards on nine rushes. That is an incredible preseason, and as Robert Sala said, one of the greatest preseasons we've seen from any player ever. And in a way, that's true. There were a couple throws from Straveller that, let's not forget, there were some interceptions that were thrown, really ugly one against the Giants that was called back that would have potentially been an interception if there wasn't a penalty on the field somewhere else. Um, but at the end of the day, he was coming in at the end. He had that flash. He had that pop. But if you're the Jets' qu- uh, quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator and you're looking at this roster and you're saying, like, something happens to Joe Flacco week one against the Ravens, do you want to throw Straveller out there for the first time who's never played against ones? and is thrown into this game action after being in the CFL for years, bouncing around different leagues and whatnot? Or do you want to have Mike White, who you know can operate the offense, knows what to do, is present in meetings, kind of knows the terminology and everything already? More of a safety net there, more of an ability to help operate through practices and whatnot because he knows what he's doing. It's a bummer to lose Traveller. Maybe he can end up on the Jets practice squad. Maybe he'll end up on another team's practice squad. I think he deserves, at the very least, a chance to come back and compete in training camps next year, preseasons next year. And, of course, if you have, like, two years in a row of just playing great in preseason, somebody is going to give you a chance eventually. We'll see what happens. But it was an awesome ride. And we can't thank him enough from a preseason and training camp standpoint to, like, just thank you for giving us that. We didn't get to see Zach Wilson play. We hardly got to see Joe Flacco play. We know that Mike White's never going to put on an aerial show, even in the preseason. So, like, thank you, Chris Travella, for coming out, balling out, winning three games for us, and doing it in cool fashion. So, props to Chris Travella for sure. So, we got our three QBs. Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White. Three guys there. You look at the running backs, this was an interesting group because there were a lot of guys. In the last podcast I left, I said, I want to leave this thing, I think, where it stood that day. LaMichael Pirine and Bam Knight as the last two running backs behind Michael Carter and Brees Hall. And that's how I left it after the last podcast. Of course, Tevin Coleman hadn't played. Ty Johnson hadn't played in the preseason yet, so a little bit of recency bias there, of course. But I loved what I saw in Bam, from Bam Knight, specifically the fact that he was able to bring that that extra juice and pop in the return game. The Jets do elect to keep undrafted free agent Bam Zonovan Knight, which is awesome. And we'll see if he sticks to the roster. Still very fluid. He's one of those guys, probably one of the last bottom guys of the 53, but a really exciting player. Has a little bit of power, a little bit of special teams pop potentially can offer a little bit moving forward. Also keep in mind, rookie deal there, rookie deal Brees Hall, rookie deal Michael Carter. That's what you want from a running back room in 2022. 
You want low dollars invested, high talent. Those guys all have upside. They all got pop. They can do different things. Very versatile room. And then the Jets elect to keep Ty Johnson, which is a little bit of a head-scratcher because they cut Tevin Coleman and they cut LaMichael Pirine. Now it's high on LaMichael Pirine after the first preseason game. At the end of the day, I don't know what I was thinking. It is LaMichael Pirine. I think he could belong on an NFL roster, could be on our practice squad, could play NFL football at some point again. I don't think he doesn't shouldn't be in this league. Like plenty of other running backs and people we've thrown out in preseason before. But LaMichael Pirine never really got to that next level of juice and pop, especially with the first-team units. So makes sense to move on from him. But Tevin Coleman was like that veteran presence of the room. Seemed to be running really well in preseason on limited carries. Still, we know he can be a return man, has some value in special teams. Ultimately, I think they decided to go with the upside of Bam Knight over Tevin Coleman, given that they both play some special teams, and then allow Ty Johnson to be in that sort of flex role where... You don't want to call him a third down back because he's not good at receiving. He was like one of the worst uh, hands in the league in terms of dropping the ball. But he does make some plays in the catch in the re- receiving game. We know he drops a lot, but he is capable of making the catch and making some runs. Um, not a great blocker, but he's got some shiftiness, gets outside. And I think ultimately he's a better fit for the zone, wide zone offensive scheme that we run. A lot of outside runs and whatnot. I think that's why he was here last year. I think he was a perfect fit for that. I think they still see him as that probably not as high on him as they were, and that's why they drafted Brees Hall, and he's behind some other people. You know, he's moved down the, the pecking chart from where it was last year, and that's okay. But that's the unit that they're going to roll out first. Those guys aren't 100% safe, I wouldn't say. Michael Carter and Brees Hall obviously are, but that's four running backs for the Jets. Wide receiver was a kind of a fun little room. It always is because I think that's like the easiest position to watch through training camps and preseasons because all you're really watching for is like, the quarterback's day, and then who he's throwing to and who's getting touchdowns and catches and whatnot. It's hard to really watch, like, O-linemen and running backs through training camps when they're not maybe wearing pads or they're not hitting running full speed and whatnot. When you look at the wide receivers here, there was a a few names that were really interesting on the back end of the depth chart. Those are guys like Calvin Jackson, Irvin Charles, Denzel Mims, Jeff Smith, right? Those are the guys we were really wondering who was going to make it. We knew Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and Braxton Berrios would be locked in. Those four the top four wide receivers, rightfully so. We've seen Garrett Wilson pop a little bit in preseason. We saw Braxton Berrios get a touchdown against the Giants this last game that was, like, just so vintage Braxton Berrios. It looked exactly like a play out of last year where he just scampers to the side. The thing about Braxton Berrios, like, I think in college he ran, like, a 4-6 or something, right? But he's got great acceleration, so he gets to that 4-6 really, really fast. But he's got a really good understanding of angles, geometry and pursuit angles and whatnot and you can see him make decisions on punt returns kick returns catching screens and whatnot where he's going to bounce a play and when he knows he's got the speed or the angle to get outside and in front of a player and then he's kind of like slippery with his with his shoulders and his hips the way he can get down on tackles and get an extra two three yards we saw that exact same thing on that touchdown play it just was that's why you have Braxton Berrios he's not going to do everything he's not perfect for the entire playbook but for special teams return game and then for plays like that like He's one of the best in the league at doing stuff like that. So super happy to have Braxton Berrios, kind of an unsung hero on this Jets team. But then you talk about those guys in the back half. The Jets elect to keep Jeff Smith and Denzel Mims. To me, Denzel Mims is a no-brainer. There is clearly something, a disconnect between Denzel Mims, his agent, whatever, and the Jets organization. Something about most likely his personality or his attitude is causing them to give favor to other people that maybe are more professional, more understanding of the offense, more team players. I don't know what it is. 
But Denzel Mims has never gotten, you know, the shake that he thinks he wants. He's also not necessarily the perfect receiver style for this Jets offense because they want more quick timing throws, yards after catch and whatnot. He's more go up and grab it, just give me the ball. Obviously, as an unproven receiver coming out of Baylor and whatnot, you can't just throw up a ball to a young guy. He's trying to work towards that, but the Jets quarterbacks haven't really gotten good at doing that either. So it's a kind of a kind of a mess right now in terms of just continuity between him and the offense. So he requests a trade, and he says, I don't really want to be part of the Jets anymore. I don't think it's because he hates the Jets. He's not like, fuck these guys, get me out of here, this is bullshit. But what it is is the guy had a lot of value coming out of Baylor. He was a second-round pick that easily could have been a first-round pick. And when the Jets were on the clock the first time, I think a lot of people, myself included, were clamoring for Denzel Mims. Jets didn't take him. They ended up waiting. He was still available later when they picked again. Then they got him. And that was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we got Denzel Mims. So everybody was super high on him coming out of the draft. Big name. A lot of pop there. So he was probably, at that point, expecting a large contract in the future, right? I'm going to be a wide receiver. I'm going to be making $10,000, $10 million, $5 million, whatever it is. Right now, he's so buried on our depth chart, he's not getting opportunities. People are talking about how he could potentially be cut, released from the team. You're talking about now getting, like, scraps, spare change money. And he's thinking in his head, like, it's not because I'm no good. I'm about to make so much less money than I would have made just because I'm not getting opportunities. The offense isn't perfect for me. They're not favoring me over other guys. And if I could go somewhere else, get the ball, get thrown passes that I'm really good at catching and really pop and do what I'm good at, I could probably make millions and millions more. So he's doing it for himself. The agent's telling him to do this, I'm sure, as well. They're trying to figure out how can we maximize our earnings. But Denzel Mims does have a skill set that the Jets don't really have. Corey Davis potentially is our big receiver, but Denzel Mims still, I feel like, goes up higher to grab the ball. He's got a higher catch point and maybe a little bit better at the spectacular catches as well. We hope that a guy like Garrett Wilson can get really, really good at getting airborne and making those big catches. But when you're talking about like a red zone receiver, pylon pass type of guy, a Mike Evans style, a Calvin Johnson, like Denzel Mims is our closest to that. And I don't want him gone because you're talking about replacing him with Irvin Charles or Calvin Jackson who made nice plays, but they don't have the consistency that Denzel Mims has. And consistency is hard to see when you're hardly getting the ball. People are saying, in two years, he's got 400 yards. How the hell is he on this team? He's going to get cut. It's got to be guys like Jeff Smith ahead of him. Listen, Jeff Smith's been on the team for three years. He's got even less total yardage than Denzel Mims. You may say, well, Jeff Smith plays special teams. Jeff Smith has one career special teams tackle. And I'm not trying to take away from Jeff Smith because he made the roster. and He's a guy that the coaches love. He's where he needs to be. But let's not act like the people that were replacing that would potentially replace Denzel Mims are so much more efficient. These big play Vincent Smiths, these Jeff Smiths, these low-end roster guys in the receiving core, they don't have a lot of pop. But Denzel Mims does. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of special teams ability. Maybe he's a little bit angry to be even thrown onto special teams. I'm talking too much about him, but this is a guy that I'm very happy stuck on the roster. Jeff Smith as well, he can be there. Hopefully he can get better at special teams. Maybe Denzel Mims can play a little special teams as well, begrudgingly. He probably doesn't even want to risk injuring his shoulders because he thinks he's still a real receiver. That's fine. We all know Denzel Mims is getting opportunities this year, and when he does, he's going to catch the ball. It's going to be 15 yards downfield, and it's not going to happen again for another, like, two games. But we're going to be like, man, when he does catch the ball, it's pretty efficient. And I'll take that yardage. 
All right, let's get out of the wide receivers here. Let's go to the tight ends. The Jets keep four tight ends. That's CJ Uzama, Tyler Conklin, Jeremy Rucker. No surprise there. And then egg on my face, Lawrence Cager, who I was saying is a joke of a project. Wide receivers can never really find success becoming a tight end. My argument and my stance was that Lawrence Cager was a raw wide receiver that couldn't stay healthy. There's no chance that adding 40 pounds, probably like 20 pounds, um, would allow him to play an entirely new position that was way more complicated than wide receiver, even though he was pretty good at blocking in college and whatnot. I was totally wrong. The team loves what he does. He was a good blocking uh, wide receiver, so shifting into tight end still needs to add that mass and still needs to get a little bit better at, like, inline blocking, I'm sure. But the guy was making plays in preseason. You get the ball in his hands, and he has that, like, mismatched speed because you expect a tight end to be there. He's being covered by, you know, a nickel, or he's getting covered by an outside linebacker safety maybe. Lawrence Cager actually has some speed, and they like the upside of that offensive weapon. So if they want to go for it, listen, I'm all for it. And... I had said, like, two years ago when we drafted, well, undrafted, added uh, Lawrence Cager, I said every single time Lawrence Cager catches a touchdown pass for the rest of his career with the Jets, I will chug my beer, whatever I'm drinking. And he had a preseason touchdown already, so I chugged my beer there, and I'm excited for more opportunities for that because I always like to party when watching the Jets, and Lawrence Cager gives me that opportunity. So happy to have him right now. Um, It did come with the expense of Kenny Yaboa and Trevon Wesco, Yaboa was kind of like the same thing as Lawrence Cager, but maybe didn't have as much uh, polish to his game because he hasn't been around as long. Potential practice squad candidate there. Trevon Wesco is kind of like a weird... He doesn't really have a position because he's a blocking tight end that's not that good at blocking, but they kind of shift him into fullback roles, and he can play from the backfield and run from there, but he's not that great at that either. Not really a tight... He's been like this project that I feel like all coaching staffs that have worked with him have wanted to maximize, but they haven't been able to do it, and finally came to the end of the line. The Jets decided that Jeremy Rucker is a more traditional style tight end that can end up filling that role, just needs to learn it a little bit. And then Nick Bauden, who was a fullback that kind of played some tight end positions and was potentially competing in a weird way for the same area as Trevon Wesco, he did make the roster, but has moved to short-term IR right away, so he's not going to count as a roster spot today, but can come back to the roster later in the season in like four weeks or so. We'll see what happens with Nick Bauden. But today we go on with C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin, who Conk is about to have a massive season. C.J. Uzama is about to be an amazing teammate. Jeremy Ruckert's about to be a great developmental player behind two awesome tight ends. And then Lawrence Cager has some pop. He's on the roster for the time being, and that's our four tight ends. Moving over to the offensive line. Tackle is a mess. Tackle was already a mess before the draft. The Jets decided not to really go after that position, but go after Max Mitchell and say, we're going to put our money on Mekhi Becton and George Fant as our two tackles. Mekhi Becton goes down, out for the year. We pick up 37-year-old Dwayne Brown. He may even be 38 now because he had a birthday or something. Dwayne Brown, super old, but has a long career, a true pro. It's like, all right, we're going with an old guy. We're going with George Fant, who's moving back to the right side where he wasn't awesome and still was never like an elite-level tackle for a long period of time. Max Mitchell is a developmental guy who can swing but played in the Sun Belt and doesn't really have, you know, any experience. So who are you going to have as his backup? you got guys like Chuma Adoga, Connor McDermott, Grant Hermans as your options. The Jets cut all three. I think it's crazy. I thought that Chuma Adoga was developing slowly but developing. He has decent footwork, gets injured, not a lot of power, 
but he's not a complete train wreck. He played a lot of snaps in preseason, didn't give up sacks. He was coming along, I think, getting better each and every year, getting healthier as well, finally, because he had some injuries earlier. But the Jets opted not to keep him. Connor McDermott is kind of a bad version of Chuma Adoga to me, so losing him, no big deal. Grant Hermans was a dark horse kind of guy, feisty player in camp. He didn't make the roster either. So when you're looking at three tackles here, two of them are, uh, well, one of them is really old, and one of them is super unproven, and the other guy, George Fant, had some injuries recently. you got to find another guy. Somewhere, whether you got two guys in the practice squad that are ready to come up at a moment's notice, or you pick up a guy from another team, bring him onto the active 53, cut somebody else from this 53-man roster that we have right now, you got to make a move. You can't go in with that group. Something happens week one, Dwayne Brown goes down. Imagine Dwayne Brown and George Fant twist ankles against the Ravens or something. You've got Max Mitchell playing his first game up against Calais Campbell or something, and then trying to shift, like, Nate Herbig or somebody into tackle. It would just be such a nightmare. I don't even want to imagine that. One more tackle, a good one, please. Let Max Mitchell develop behind somebody else who's a little bit more proven. Interior offensive line, Lakin Tomlinson, AVT, Connor McGovern, obvious there. Nate Herbig, Dan Feeney, those two make sense. Dan Feeney also doubles as our backup center, can also play guard. I think Herbig is a better guard but can't play center. So that's your interior offensive line. They cut Chris Glazer and this guy Pierschbacher who was playing, um, no surprises there. So all we've got left is the defensive side of the ball, practice squad wish list, and Ravens. But first, you guessed it, folks. we got to take a quick pit stop to the bar cart for a little what time tap cocktail edition. That is right. Tonight, I'm drinking a cocktail. Something nice because I'm watching these cuts for 24 hours trickle in. Guys that I've become invested in over the past few months watching them in training camp, watching them for the last two, three, four years, whatever, and then seeing them get cut, replaced for another guy, the emotion, just the connection of like, do I think what the coaches think and the general management, or am I off base and missing stuff? It's been a tornado. And not only for the Jets, but for the entire NFL. It's a tough day all around. You feel for the players that are getting cut. Um, a lot of good players that hopefully will end up on other teams because the Jets for once are in a position of like a nice roster cutting talent instead of just being a a dog shit team cutting bad players that nobody wants. It's like a lot of these guys are going to get picked up either by us or by another team because they do have talent. So that side is good, but you still want to come home and have a nice drink, a nice stiff cocktail to kind of take the edge off, sit back, look at your notes, and really digest that initial 53-man roster. So I come home, go to the bar cart, always have whiskey on deck. It's my drink of choice. A delicious bourbon picked up by fiance Shannon called Cooper's Mark. Small batch bourbon whiskey, which is a great mixer. It's a good whiskey in and of itself, like twenty four ninety nine for a seven fifty. But it's not uh, one that I really want to drink a ton. Neat. I do a lot of neat pours, but I like to get a slightly better bottle, perhaps in this. This is like right in that perfect fringe of a nice whiskey that's inexpensive enough to make nice cocktails with. So I snagged that. I got ginger ale in the basement. Always got that on tap just in case for a hangover. Pull that up, toss it in an old-fashioned, five ice cubes, one lime wedge. I got myself a whiskey ginger, Cooper's Mark whiskey, what is it, can of the dry ginger ale, can't go any other way, and I'm feeling good. I'm enjoying looking at this list. I know it's like a depressing day because they're cutting so many people, 27 guys today specifically, and then probably more to come as they add more people. 
But in reality, it's like one of my favorite days and podcasts that I can record because we spend so much time hypothetically analyzing all of these guys, who can play what, why the Jets picked this guy, why they drafted him or signed him to this contract, what they see. And then after finding 90 guys to make your team, you have them compete in training camps. We get minimal news. I mean, there's some public practices, but then you get the media and the beat reporters and whatnot that tell you what they see, but they're not watching everything. And to then sit back and watch all of the things that you thought either come true or not come true, like every 10 minutes for an entire day, and then get to report on it and do a podcast talking about like why what happened happened. It's, I don't know, it's just a great culmination of effort and time and analysis. Everything I've put into the preseason, everything I've put into training camps to now see the final product and like, okay, that makes sense. And even if I didn't predict something happening, I still understand why Joe Douglas or the team made the decision they made. And if I don't, I can figure it out. I can be like, all right, well, they must be thinking this because there's no other reason. So it's pretty cool. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I'm enjoying myself. The cocktail's wonderful. And that is tonight's What's on Tap cocktail edition. Now we're going to go talk defense. But before we do, we got to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. It is time for us to talk defensive side of the ball. Initial 53-man roster. We're going to start with that defensive end edge position, those pass rushers that we know are so important for this defense. We play that zone that has been sliced and diced this preseason. It was sliced and diced last season. The big excuse was we didn't have the horses to run it. So far, preseason's been a little ugly, limited play for starters, but the hope is that Robert Sala and Jeff Albrecht have some wrinkles, some things that we haven't seen yet that are going to be a little bit more interesting and entertaining to watch from a Jets defensive standpoint. But it really comes down to that pass rush because if those guys hold their zones, even for a couple seconds, if you can get those guys after the quarterback, life is going to be a lot easier. And it starts with Carl Lawson and John Franklin Myers. John Franklin Myers can shift inside. People will say he'll do that. He's probably going to spend a lot of time outside as well. But Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, those are your first two. Then you got Jermaine Johnson, Jacob Martin, and Michael Clemens. And all three of those guys have been, you know, making plays throughout training camps and preseason. I think Jermaine Johnson's been a little bit quiet in preseason. Michael Clemens has been anything but. And then Jacob Martin, he had a really strong start to the training camp. I mean, early on in training camp, he was one of those guys that was like, man, we can see it. He's a, He's got some speed rush to him. He's got some bend. He's got some moves. He can get after the quarterback quickly. So those five guys, you feel pretty good about them. And then two other guys the Jets kept, which was a little bit of a surprise to me, were Vinnie Curry and Bryce Huff. Now, Vinnie Curry is older. We haven't heard much in training camp. We haven't seen much in preseason from him. And as an older guy who wasn't on the team last year, but is like that veteran presence, I thought maybe he would be one of those guys that was perfect for training camp, but then they'd move on from him because he didn't really have enough gas left. But the Jets have decided that he is worth stashing, at least for now, on the 53-man roster. They also bring in Bryce Huff. He's coming back. Um, he's been one of those guys that's, like, not great against the run. He's not got much power, but he's got some bend and some speed off the edge. He was actually credited in, in minimal play with against the Giants in this last preseason game. He was credited with 10 quarterback pressures. Two of them were really close. And you can just see his get-off-the-line-of-scrimmage, his ability to get his arm around the offensive tackle, get to the quarterback, when he's got that speed and get up, can get up there and isn't getting jammed at the line, 
he's pretty effective. So I think like as the seventh guy in that unit, sixth or seventh guy, he's going to be in a rotation. I think he's a great fit for the unit. But then they cut Bradley and I and Jabari Zaniga. Jabari Zaniga is like, all right, whatever. We kind of like accepted that, that whole draft class sucked and Jabari Zaniga was never really going to be the player that we wanted him to be. But then this year he kind of started to pop a little bit in preseason and training camp, and we were like, shoot, is he starting to come along? And that's why I think he's a good practice squad candidate right now. Um, Bradley Anay, though, is the other guy, and he made that big sack scoop and score that basically was a winner against the Falcons, but made a couple other really nice plays, had a good training camp, has that, like, he plays with that violence that Robert Silo loves. He gets after the guy in front of him. He's not afraid to rip through. And I thought that Bradley Anay had a place on this team, maybe instead of a Vinnie Curry or a Bryce Huff. But the Jets decide not to go that direction, and hopefully he gets a chance at the Jets moving forward. We'll see how that shakes up. When you look at defensive tackle, Quinton Williams is obvious. He is the best and only amazing defensive tackle that we have. Behind him, the Jets elect to keep Solomon Thomas and Sheldon Rankins, two guys that had big names and potentially some ability, but haven't shown a ton in recent years and kind of make you question like whether or not they should be on an NFL roster or maybe they're like a bigger name than they are player at this point in their career. But they both made it, and hopefully they can settle into a position. Obviously, Sheldon Rankins was with the team last year, so they have familiarity with him. And then Solomon Thomas was with Robert Sala back in San Francisco, so they have familiarity with him. So you can understand that. I'm going to blow your mind right now. You've already seen it, but every single time you hear it, it still blows your mind. Nathan Shepard made this Jets team. We've talked about a lot of good players that have been cut so far. Nathan Shepard was not one of them. Somehow. I could have cut him five times last year throughout the season just from specific moments in a game where it's like, clearly no. Clearly he doesn't have it. And I like the guy as a person. I love his story coming into the NFL. Nothing against him as a person. But no, absolutely not. He's a bad football player. He makes dumb mistakes. And I don't know what the team sees in him. I don't know what they like. I don't know what dirt he's got on them where they feel like they can't cut him. But Nathan Shepard is there, and they cut Tanzel Smart, who is older and has been on this team's training camp and preseason roster many times, but he actually was having a really good year and shows that he can play a little bit of run and get off the line really freaking quick and get after the passer. Three things that Nathan Shepard can't do. Then they cut Jonathan Marshall, who's the young guy that was drafted at the very end of the draft last year. Showed a little bit of promise last year, was kind of like a working, you know, developmental guy, and then had a really nice preseason at points this year. And still they elect to take a guy who had no upside when he drafted him out of like Fort Hayes or whatever, and then showed no upside since then. He's been sticking around, and it drives me crazy. We're going to just stick him in the doghouse now because he's going to end up there week one anyway if he gets any snaps, which he probably shouldn't. We should probably move on from him. This one drives me nuts. There are so many good players in this roster that got cut, and he's not one of them. And okay. Let's get away from defensive tackle. Starting to stink over there. Linebackers. Jets go with four linebackers. C.J. Mosley, obvious. He's going to be that anchor of the whole defense, calling all the shots. Quan Alexander, a nice addition who made a nice, beautiful tackle against the Giants running back that popped that ball out. You can see that he's got a little bit more oomph, a little more pizzazz than those guys that were there before him in that position. Quincy Williams, who's a raw headhunter, likes to hit people, but hasn't really developed into a polished player yet. But he's there as an option. Keep in mind that the Jets run these different defenses, right? Like, it could be a 4-3. It could also be a 4-2, 
where it's just Quan Alexander and C.J. Mosley and a nickel cornerback comes in in lieu of one of those linebackers. A lot of different variations where it doesn't necessarily need to be all three as starters on all plays. Um, but they also keep Jamie and Sherwood, who last year, I wasn't a huge fan of him when they drafted him. Took him from Auburn. He was a safety. They wanted to move him to linebacker. Same thing with Hamza Nazrildeen, and it was like, all right, I could see it with Hamza. Jamie and Sherwood, not sure. Season comes and goes. Um, he plays okay, but then gets injured. I wasn't super high on him. But the way I've seen him progress through training camp and preseason, he's starting to look on the field like, very, very similar to the way C.J. Mosley moves. Similar back steps and lateral movement and standing in that spot. I know he plays the same position, but he's got a lot of similarities to that C.J. Mosley style. And I think that C.J. Mosley said when he came into the league and was a young guy, he got a lot of help and mentorship from older linebackers that you know got him to where he needed to be. And he wants to pay that back. And I think Jamie and Sherwood is that guy that's getting a lot of extra attention from him and is, and is clearly a sponge and learning a lot of it because you can see it in his game. And he's one of the people that I'm most impressed with year over year in terms of their development through training camps. I don't think he's all the way there right now. He's not ready to be a Pro Bowl linebacker. But there was a point where I thought, like, you know, maybe he would be one of the odd men out sooner than later on the roster. And now I'm thinking this is the guy that's potentially going to be the future of the linebacker position for the Jets. So very pleased with him. On the other side, you got the people that were cut, and Hamza Nasraldeen, his counterpart, didn't make it. That guy was drafted as a safety, good safety from Florida State that uh, was shifted to be that tweener, sort of linebacker. Robert Sala wanted to find safeties, move him to linebacker because he thought they'd have good coverage and good speed for that zone defense where they'd be able to attack the kill zone and be a nice asset on the outside. Unfortunately, Hamza Nasraldi never really got it. He never moved to the play quickly. He never had good pursuit angles. He never had really fast instincts to a play. He was kind of like the way Ashton Davis is always just like, standing there watching the pile of people but never in the pile of people because he just got there at the last second like everyone else is going there and then he's like oh shoot we're going here he's the last guy there Hamza was in that sort of situation and it's okay you know I wanted him to work out and I had way higher hopes for him than Jamie and Sherwood when we drafted him but at the end of the day like when you're drafting all those guys that they drafted fourth fifth sixth seventh round when they're drafting guys like Brandon Eccles Michael Carter they're drafting Jason Pinnock and Hamson Nasraldine, Jamie and Sherwood, and all of them are dart throws. And we said it when they drafted them, like, we don't know who, but one or two of these guys hopefully will pop. And that's kind of where we're at, and that's perfectly right. right? Like, all those guys were not supposed to be good NFL starters. We were hoping that one or two would, and we found one or two, and the rest you move on, and that's absolutely according to plan. So Hamsa was one of the uh, guys in the scrap heap. He joins Delshawn Phillips, DQ Thomas, and somewhat of a surprise, Marcel Harris, because Marcel Harris has played with Robert Sala, is a veteran, plays special teams, knows what he's doing. But Jamie and Sherwood played so well, they added Quan Alexander. They didn't want to carry more than four linebackers at this point in time, so that's your starting unit. When you look at cornerbacks, Ahmad Gardner played amazing in preseason. 24 coverage snaps, zero targets. It's even better than what was advertised when we got him out of Cincinnati. We were told the guy didn't give up touchdowns. We weren't told he couldn't be completed against. And I get it. It's just preseason. It's just 24 coverage snaps. But nobody else in the NFL did that. He's got the name. He's got the juice and everything coming in. He's got 
all the intangibles, the makeup, the size, all that stuff that you're looking for. And then you see him do that through preseason and people won't even throw at him. It's like, we know what's coming. Some quarterback eventually will try him out and see what will happen. But right now, the guy's just locked down as it comes. So super pleased with that. Robert Sala has named him a starter for the Jets' defense. He's officially said, so, and he didn't originally say that Ahmad would be necessarily starting. He said that, you know, potentially a battle with him and Bryce Hall. They'd see what happened. He'd make a decision. Boom. It's Ahmad, who at this point in time, I'm siding with Carl Lawson, who's awesome. Um, He said that he's not going to call Ahmad Gardner sauce until he earns that name. And Ahmad said that's perfectly fine. He said it was the exact same thing as Cincinnati. He came in with that nickname sauce, but they said you got to earn that nickname. It's not going to take a long time. He makes one great play. We'll switch him to sauce. He'll be sauce forever. But for now, I'm with it. Carl Lawson, Ahmad Gardner, our number one cornerback on this team. Behind him, DJ Reed has been banged up. Hopefully it will be good to go for week one and can play good football for us because we saw Bryce Hall get burned a bit in preseason, specifically in that second game. And Brandon Eccles, we know, is one of the worst tackling cornerbacks in the NFL. And this defense kind of relies on your cornerbacks to make tackles. So you're in that sort of tough spot there. Michael Carter, too, is going to be the fifth cornerback on this team playing that nickel spot. They decided to cut Javelin Guidry, who was a good backup to him and has played scrappy good football for the Jets over the years. But Javelin Guidry's moving on. Michael Carter, too, is going to be the lone guy in the nickel spot. Maybe they can move Brandon Eccles in there if they need to, but uh, he's going to have to learn how to tackle. They also had to cut Isaiah Dunn and Rashad Wild Goose. No surprises there. Safeties, this was a shock because Jordan Whitehead was guaranteed. LaMarcus Joyner was probably guaranteed, even though my dad is really questioning whether or not he's capable of playing safety at a high level in the NFL at this point in his career. My dad thinks he may be on the way out and uh, will have some sort of mysterious phantom injury and never be heard from again. That is his prediction for him. Don't tell him I told you that. I still think maybe LaMarcus Joyner can be okay. He's a veteran. But behind him, we've got Ashton Davis. Yep, who we don't ever want to see play safety again until he's learned how to do it. We'd like to see him transition into a special teams role or some other, like, specialty role because he's got good speed. But The guy's got horrible pursuit angles and can't cover worth shit, so you get nervous having him out there. And then undrafted free agent Tony Adams makes the team instead of Jason Pinnock and Will Parks, both of whom I thought were lined up to be the third Safety on this roster. I thought week one would open. It would be Jordan Whitehead, of course, and then probably LaMarcus Joyner to start with Will Parks or Jason Pinnock right behind. And Ashton Davis would maybe be on this roster, maybe not. Tony Adams, no chance he'd be on the roster. The Jets like what they saw from Tony Adams. The undrafted free agent has popped. He's number 22 in preseason and training camp. You may have noticed him out there. Playing mostly later in games, which is why I was surprised that they kept him because similar to like a Chris Travella or something, It's like, yeah, you let a game-winning drive, but it was the fourth quarter and nobody was really playing. I felt that way with Tony Adams where it was like, yeah, you're playing pretty well, but it's kind of later in games, not as impactful here. But they like it. They think he's got enough upside. I'd like to see Jason Pinnock and potentially Will Parks back on this team. But right now, we got a weird safety group, and hopefully it doesn't kill us. The last unit to talk about is special teams. And on special teams, there were no surprises. Braden Mann makes the team. Greg Zerline was a shoe-in after we cut Eddie Panero. Thomas Hennessy is still our long snapper. And the Jets elect to keep Justin Hardy, who is our special teams ace, our special teams captain. And at this point in time, we'll continue to do so for this year. That is our initial 53-man roster. Holy moly, 
What a group. So then we talk about the preseason wish list of the guys that we have. I'm looking at guys like Bradley Anay, Jabari Zaniga, and Jonathan Marshall on that defensive line because we had such a good, deep defensive line through training camp and preseason. And we said it like there were going to be tough decisions made there. I'd like to see some of those guys brought back, especially ones that have untapped potential. And to me, that's Bradley Anay, Jabari Zaniga, and Jonathan Marshall. You know, I could, I'd like to see Tanzel Smart on this roster today but I could see why you wouldn't put a 28-year-old on the practice squad in that position when you have young guys. But I'd like to develop those other three because I think, in reality, all three of them could do spot starts fairly well at this point in their career. Maybe not Jabari Zaniga so much, but I think Bradley and A could play week one for the Jets in limited snaps and be somewhat effective. And same for Jonathan Marshall. So I'd like to see them end up there. I'd also like to see Javelin Guidry, not because he's got a lot of potential. I think he's kind of met that. But I think that there's a situation where we end up being in a jam at nickel cornerback. And I don't want to end up finding a guy like Rashad Wild Goose or Sheldrick Redwine or something on the free agent scrap heap and put them into a game. But I'd have a guy like Javelin Guidry there waiting, practicing. And if somebody goes down, you can slide him into a role. That's also why I'd like to keep Will Parks on the practice squad. And then Jason Pinnock, just because I think he's got a lot of athleticism. The team kind of raved about him. I was I was convinced he was going to be on this roster just because the way they spoke about him and what I saw in training camp in preseason, but he's not there right now, so hopefully he ends up on the practice squad. We may see a guy like Chuma Adoga or Grant Hermans just to have a tackle that's familiar with our system there in that unit. Maybe one of those tight ends like a Kenny Yaboa or Trevon Wesco if they can make it. Strabella would be interesting, even though I don't think he's got a lot of NFL future just because, you know, what he did was miraculous for sure, but given the situations he was in, the point in the game he was in, you know, it's hard to imagine that it would happen. The guy has been, keep in mind, he wasn't even the starter for his own CFL team. Let's not act like the guy was up in the CFL as the star MVP player. He was the Nick Foles behind a Carson Wentz, who his team did really well. He was given some opportunities in the playoffs and whatnot to do, like, special packages and whatnot because he runs the ball really well. But he wasn't a star up in the CFL. And rightfully so, perhaps. Maybe the guy doesn't have everything we need, but we saw some great games. Anyways, uh... Some of those receivers as well. Calvin Jackson, almost just like out of respect for getting two game-winning touchdowns, even though I know it's not the end of the world. I'm like, oh, you got two touchdowns in preseason. Not that big a deal, but they were two game winners, and it was awesome. So, yeah, you never know. Guy was clutch. But that's kind of what I have for a, a rough preseason wish list. But the last order of business that we got to do real quick, and you know what? I got to do a commercial because this is taking a long time. We're going to do a quick commercial break right here, and then we're going to come back and talk Ravens preview and get out of here. Be right back. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. It's our last order of business. We're going to fly through um, the Ravens preview here. The Ravens are a really good team. No way around it. I actually have, uh, they were like kind of my dark horse Super Bowl pick. I put money on them to win the Super Bowl. Um, a small amount. It's like plus 2,000 odds, and I think that team is really freaking good. They didn't have an amazing year last year, but they had so many injuries. That is absolutely 1,000% a run-first offense. Everything runs through the run in the tight ends and Lamar Jackson. And last year they lose Justice Hill and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and Ronnie Stanley. And it was just like the perfect storm of losing the most important players for their running game and then watching them still do a decent job in a tough division um, I think they're bouncing back big time. They were undefeated in preseason. They've now won like 20 preseason games straight for whatever it's worth. 
but they are playing well right now, even though their backups were getting a majority of the carry through preseason. The one thing on the Jets' side right now is they're a little banged up. Some injuries from last year, some from this year. Currently unable to play week one against the Jets. Guaranteed not going to be able to play. Gus Edwards, running back, who is a very talented, very dangerous weapon, who would be probably the number two running back behind J.K. Dobbins. He plays that good third down scat role, picks up first downs in big spots. Linebacker Tyus Bowser, who's definitely one of their best defensive players and absolutely their best linebacker outside of Patrick Queen. Tyus Bowser will not be able to play, nor will one of the backups for that linebacker unit, Vince Beagle, former Dolphin. He won't be able to play as well, so a little bit of you know injury concern there. And those are decent players. Tyus Bowser and Gus Edwards specifically are like real impact players for that team. And then questionable players right now that are kind of impactful. Left tackle Ronnie Stanley is one of the best left tackles in the entire league. He may not be ready for week one. That would be huge. That running back, J.K. Dobbins, if they're without J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, you're talking about again going back to like a Mike Davis or a Kenyon Drake who they just picked up, which is much, much less scary and intimidating than a J.K. Dobbins who could potentially have a big year. Cornerback Marcus Peters. He is probably the second best cornerback on that team because Marlon Humphrey is a beast, but Marcus Peters is no slouch at all. That guy plays well. He's had some good games against the Jets, and if he doesn't play, it'll make it a little bit easier on our quarterback. And then lastly, Travis Jones. Not a household name yet. He's a rookie this year, but he came from UConn. Love the guy. Defensive tackle. Wish the Jets had drafted him, but uh, obviously there were other players for the Jets to go after there, and Travis Jones is currently questionable for that game. So those guys are questionable. Stanley, Dobbins, Peters, and Jones. And we won't be seeing Edwards, Bowser, or Beagle against the Jets. The team overall is still super dangerous, though. They have a really, really good coaching team, right? John Harbaugh, we know, is one of the best coaches in the league. I would love to have him as a Jets coach. He's been in Baltimore for a long time, done really, really well there. They still have their OC for the last few years, Greg Roman. And then they got defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. He's going to be in that. Uh, Wink Martindale left. I think he's with the Giants now, perhaps. But they have... uh, Yeah, defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who this team's going to be prepared, no question. They have real pros. When you look at their draft from this year, they drafted a bunch of guys that are potentially, you know, backups for their unit, a lot of depth guys, people that were big names. And if you look at another team in the league, guys, if they were drafting a Daniel Falele or Isaiah Likely or Travis Jones, they'd potentially be starters for that team. But they drafted all guys to be, you know, bench people. Progress, David Ajabos, people like they have the luxury of doing that because their starting unit is so freaking good. And Lamar Jackson, in a contract year, currently like working on negotiations, he is going to leave every single thing that he's got on the table because if not now, then when? He's a running quarterback. Perhaps his lifespan is limited. He's not going to make it maybe till 40 years old. Maybe he's at his peak right now. Who knows? But that means give it all right now. Get that big contract. Do what you got to do. He's going to ball out this year. I am convinced of it. When you look at their offensive weapons, Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay, James Proch, not a great unit of receivers. Rashad Bateman was kind of a big name coming out last year. We'll see if he progresses, but it's not really run through the receivers in Baltimore. It's run through the ground game, it's run through the RPO, Lamar Jackson's rushing, getting out of third downs, picking up first downs when you don't expect them, good fullback blocking, and then great tight end play. When you look at the tight ends, Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in the league and works perfectly within that system. Nick Boyle is a very good backup. And then Isaiah Likely is having a great preseason. So they got good three tight ends there that are all dangerous and guys the Jets are going to have to watch. And you look at the offensive line that, even without Ronnie Stanley, is a solid unit. Pretty good PFF grades across the board. 
some decent depth there, and they're going to be trying to run the ball as much as they possibly can. It may be Mike Davis. It may be Kenyon Drake, Tyler Batty, um, if there's no J.K. Dobbins. But either way, I mean, it's going to be dangerous because you have to stay back just in case it's an RPO and they don't hand the ball to Mike Davis. You have to be ready for Lamar Jackson to keep it and run and roll out to the other side. So it keeps people guessing. Instead of just attacking the hole and playing with instinct, you got to second guess a little bit. It makes it very complicated, very difficult. And they've got one of the best lead fullbacks in the league, in Patrick Ricard. So it's a tricky matchup, and it's hard to practice for because the Jets don't play like that. You can't put Joe Flacco and Mike White on scout team here for this defense to practice up against because they've played nothing like this yet. They've never played an athlete like Lamar Jackson, a guy that can run the ball like that, get open in space. I think that it makes sense to have a guy like potentially Jermaine Johnson doing a quarterback spy for a lot of the game. Maybe they can find another player. I'm not exactly sure who they consider their spy to be. Maybe it's one of the outside linebackers. Maybe Quan Alexander can do it. Um, but this is one of those times where it's like, yeah, keeping a guy back, playing a soft zone, covering the flat, and making sure that that quarterback does not take off and run is kind of a big deal, especially if you're not super worried about the wide receivers. We'll see what the Jets can do, try to slow them down a little bit. So when you talk about the Baltimore Ravens defense, their pass rush is interesting because they have a couple old vets in Calais Campbell and Justin Houston that you know can get it done, but you also expect kind of the end of the road to be soon. Then they got some young guys like David Ajabo, who if he's healthy to play, we don't know. He could be good. Odafe Owa, who I think is about to be a really good, formerly Jason Owa. Um, I think he's about to be a good player, and he only had like six, maybe five or six sacks last year. I think he's on pace for more, and... He's one of those people that just have to watch out for because he's kind of a speed rusher off the edge. They don't have Tyus Bowser for this game, but they do have a really freaking good do-it-all linebacker in Patrick Queen, who that guy's freaking dangerous. Watch out for him. And then when you look at their defensive backs, I mean, this unit is wild because just say Marcus Peters plays. It's Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. They got Kyle Fuller to play the slot. And then their safety would be Marcus Williams from the Saints, who every single Jets fan wanted to get Marcus Williams before we got... Jordan Whitehead, it was like, that was the guy, right? They also have Chuck Clark, who's a good, young, ascending safety, in my opinion, and they drafted Kyle Hamilton, who we said the Jets could potentially be drafting at pick number four. So they've got a ridiculous group of six dynamite DBs who could potentially all be pro bowlers, maybe not Kendall Fuller, but that unit is scary. And their special teams unit is scary. They have the best kicker in the NFL. So looking over at our keys to victory... When you talk about on defense, it comes to containing Lamar Jackson, like I said, slowing their run, making sure that Mike Davis or Kenyon Drake can't get going, force Lamar Jackson to throw, cover the tight ends, and make him get those wide receivers involved. Make Lamar Jackson stand in the pocket and throw to the outside numbers. That's going to be the best key to victory. Easier said than done because nobody's as fast as him. But you want to spy him, keep him controlled, stop that running game, And then when it comes to offense, the Jets need to run the ball well. You do not want to be throwing against that defensive backfield. You don't want Joe Flacco standing back there or Zach Wilson, whoever, trying to take shots, find Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson early in the year before they've got chemistry. Because we may not have it, but I'll tell you right now, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Chuck Clark, those guys have the chemistry. And I'm sure Marcus Williams was a quick study because that's a good player. So when you talk about... (laughs) That's a mismatch when you talk about Joe Flacco. Even if he's throwing to Corey Davis or Garrett Wilson, it's a mismatch on those people. 
So if you can get the ball run really well early, specifically first down, getting to second and four, and being able to throw soft passes to Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzama, pick up 10, 15 yards in those sort of plays on a second and four, that's what you want. But you got to pick up those first down yardage. Brees Hall, Michael Carter, they need to have a huge game. The offensive line has to find continuity and chemistry early. They have to have a huge game. we got to limit big mistakes because we're a young team. We're going to be a little bit more fired up. The Ravens are a little bit more settled into their unit. Their guys have been there for a long time. Their coaches have been there for a long time. We may have a little bit more pregame jitters. we got to make sure that we don't make stupid mistakes. No bad penalties, right? The team, guys are getting off the field and whatnot. No 12 men on the field. Calling bad timeouts. Good clock management. All that stuff is very important in this game. They need to play a clean, good game because they're playing a very good team. Even though they're banged up, it's week one, so anything can happen. But the Jets right now, they're a mystery to a lot of people. We know the names. We know they drafted big guys like Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall. These are flashy names for a lot of people, but we haven't seen it work on the field yet. Hell, we don't even know who our quarterback is, Joe Flacco or Zach Wilson. But when it comes down to it, I believe in our running attack. I believe in the offensive line we've built. And I believe in our ability with our defensive line unit and the linebackers that we've added. I think that we can slow down Lamar Jackson, keep him from running all over us, limit the tight ends, and keep the receivers out of it. I think that we can absolutely find success and actually win this game. My prediction, I'm never going to predict the Jets to lose week one, by the way. Just no chance. It's a brand new season. What, What good is that? We haven't seen this team play. We haven't seen the Ravens play. Anything is possible. Brand new year. I got the Jets winning this game. 23, Ravens 19. Jets win by four. Justin Tucker's long leg is not enough to win the game because they need a touchdown at the end. So they try to drive down the field. Lamar Jackson runs, scrambles, can't get into the end zone. Awesome game, New York Jets. That would be phenomenal. If they can pull this win off, this is, in my opinion, one of the hardest games in the schedule. There are definitely some other hard ones. The Bills, Packers come to mind. Broncos will be tough. The Patriots are always tough. Dolphins could be too. A lot of tough games for the Jets this year. But I think the Ravens is easily one of the toughest ones. And Lamar Jackson's in a contract year, and this team, the Ravens, is looking at the Super Bowl. And The Jets are unproven and a lot of young guys, so there's a lot of things stacked against us. But sometimes that's what it takes for a team to come out. And if they can get that ball rolling early, oh, man. It's really going to be, it's really going to come down to the running attack this year. If the Jets have a combined, like, 1,200 yards between Brees Hall and Michael Carter, forget it. It's going to be a shit year. But if they can get, like, say, 1,700 yards between those two players, like, we're going to be feeling really good about this team. The quarterback's going to be looking good. People are going to be eating out there. So let's see what happens. It starts this week, two weeks, against the Baltimore Ravens. I can't wait. I'm not going to do a podcast, as I said, next week. I'm going to take the week off. We're going to just kind of sit back, prep for the game, Get our ducks in a row. Also got a wedding coming up. That's in like 25 days or something. Um, So lots of stuff on the horizons here. But the most important thing, obviously, is this Ravens game. We'll be back the Tuesday after to talk about what happened. I will have a father time that week. Fortunately, it was omitted this week. Dad's on the road. Sales couldn't get one to me. I told him a little last minute, so it's on me. But moving forward, we're going to be on a cadence every single Tuesday following the Jets games. So it's going to be a little bit easier to get those from him. So... That's all I got for this one. Kind of a long episode. A lot to go over, but it's a ton of content today. This was cut down day. Jets have a 53-man roster. Honestly, I haven't checked Twitter since I started this thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets have already made a couple couple big moves maybe, adding some players, picking up people from other teams. 
We shall see. They're number four in the waiver claim, so definitely an opportunity for them to make some moves. But we got like 12 days until the Jets play, and I hope you're ready for it. So thank you for joining me for this podcast episode. Until then, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 